This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Welcome to the Law School Show podcast. My name is Ashley, and today our guest is Dr. Jennifer Schulz, my current torts professor at the University of Manitoba, as well as a practicing mediator. We'll talk about her career path, as well as some general law school advice. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Dr. Schulz. Thank you for being here today. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Hi, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm a law professor at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, and also a practicing mediator. Um, due to COVID, I've become a Netflix crave and Amazon Prime addict, and I'm also a parent to two boys. So what made you first decide to go to law school? Oh, I wanted to be a lawyer, or so I thought, since I was 12 years old. Um, that was kind of always the thought that I had. And so I went to law school after my BA in anthropology, and I loved law school. But as much as I loved law school, um, partway through, I decided I did not want to practice law. So then I went to do graduate school afterwards because I wanted to pursue the professorial route. And you did your uh, master's abroad, is that right? I did. You know what I did? I did something kind of weird, but it was really cool. I went to Cambridge in England and I did a master's in legal anthropology. So I combined courses from the law faculty with the anthropology department and was looking at law in cross-cultural perspective. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Um, And what was that experience like just being overseas and like studying legal anthropology? Oh, I would recommend to any law student, if you're not sure exactly what you want to do, or even if you know you want to be a lawyer, you've got 50 years to practice law. You could take one year out and do a master's degree in England. And it's awesome because um, it's fun. It's a cool experience. There's definitely a culture change from Canada, but yet it's England. So it's English. It's, you know, you don't have a linguistic problem. The system is very similar and you're in close distance to all kinds of great European cities that you can fly to once COVID is over on student rates with their airlines. It's an amazing experience. So I would recommend it to anybody. So you needed to do a master's to pursue the teaching route? Um, Yes, that's right. So if you want to do, if you want to teach in a law school, you need to have at minimum a master's. And realistically, these days, you need your PhD as well. Uh, Back when I did it, um, still get a job with only the master's degree. But now to be competitive, you do need the PhD. Right. And after your master's, you did like an SJD as well. So is that similar to a PhD or is yes. that That's a really good question, Ashley. It's the same thing. It's just different letters because it's for law school. So okay. um, some law schools, for example, if you go to Osgoode Hall, it's called a PhD in law. Um, I went to U of T. So at U of T, they call it an SJD. Uh, places like Harvard also call it an SJD. I think Columbia calls it a JSD. It's all very confusing, but a PhD, an SJD, and a JSD are all the same thing. They're a doctorate in law. But students shouldn't feel um, intimidated by doing that because 
It's a little secret. Um, a PhD in law is easier, I would say, than doing a PhD in psychology or poli-sci or something because you don't have the comprehensive exams and you don't have to do a practicum. So it, you can do it a lot faster than other doctoral programs. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, and so as part of your master's and your like PhD program, is there research involved? Like what does real legal research look like? So there's definitely research involved with both. That's kind of the main thing. So when you're in law school, if you don't love research, then I would recommend that you go and, you know, go get <laughs> in a law firm or with the government or work in house or something. But if you do like research, then master's degrees are really fun because you basically choose whatever subject or subject area of interest was your favorite in law school. So if you like animal rights or if you're into law and bioethics or if you're a tax law person, whatever you like the best, I would choose that. And then you think of a research question or a problem that there doesn't seem to be an answer to. And you write your master's thesis as the answer to that question. And what was your master's thesis? My master's thesis, and so again, remember, mine wasn't a regular LLM. It was this anthropology mix. So I did a thesis on the culture of contract law. And so I was looking at deal-making uh, through an anthropological lens and how people make deals and how they make contracts and how the law in those areas change depending on if you're going purely legal or if you're also incorporating culture and custom. And that's what actually got me onto my true love, which is mediation. So just studying how different cultures make deals uh, brought me to the idea of mediation. And I decided that was a practice area that I was more interested in than the traditional practice of law. Okay, so the your you practicing mediation wasn't something that kind of you knew about until your master's degree. That's exactly right because unfortunately for me when I was a law student in the 1990s um uh, in the early 1990s Canadian law schools weren't offering courses in ADR or mediation or things like that. So they weren't course options that were available and sometimes when you're a student in your 20s I mean if it's not there as a choice you don't know that it exists, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's much better now because Canadian law schools from coast to coast to coast are all offering some kind of ADR education. So we're graduating students now who are thinking about that as a career idea, whereas I didn't come to it until I was in my master's program. For sure. Yeah, because I had no idea that this even existed before like our class. And when I heard you talking about mediation, I was like, hey, like, that seems like something that I would like to do. <laughs> well, and it's true because I find I'm very impressed with law students from about the last five years ago up until now. They are really, um, I don't know, they seem more humanitarian to me and they seem interested in their clients and how their clients are feeling and doing. And I find that mm -hmm. students who are more that who are more inclined in that direction, um, really do well with things like ADR-based processes because it involves getting at the client's interests and trying to see if you can resolve disputes in a way that will make clients happy. Right, for sure. And are you still practicing right now? I think you mentioned that you are, but maybe with COVID, has that been affected? 
So that's a good question. Um, so my main, like, if you want to say, what's my day job, right? My main job is being a law prof at the U of M. And that's a job that I really, really love. Um, on, you, you could describe my mediation practice as being on the side. So mm-hmm. what I do is I do mediations in Winnipeg. And pre-COVID, I did mediations in Toronto as well. Um, and now that COVID is on, um, I've done, I find I'm doing fewer mediations, but the ones I'm doing are obviously virtual, uh, but they have happened to be Winnipeg-based since COVID. I haven't done any virtual Toronto mediations. When you do mediation, it's not really like one size fits all, is it? Does it like vary depending on who you're working with? Yes, it does. Um, And for it can vary also depending on what area of law the dispute comes from, right? So the idea behind mediation is to be very client focused and to be more informal than the court system and to sort of tailor your process and your resolution to the parties in front of you. So in that way, every case is different because you can really take the party's interests and desires into account. Um, But in terms of once you know the skills of mediating, you do find that you tend to mediate in similar way or style for cases that are similar. Right, right. And what does the training look like? Because to my understanding, it's not a regulated profession at the moment. You are absolutely right. It is not a regulated profession. So for all of the enterprising and entrepreneurial law students out there, they certainly can feel free to hang up their shingle anytime and say they are (laughs) because in Canada, you are allowed to mediate disputes without any particular um, educational background. Having said that, if you actually want to do it and make some money from it, you you know you're much better off having some kind of training so that you can market yourself. Um, so, is your question what kind of training did I have, or what kind of training should law students seek out? Um, well, first you can tell us about maybe what you have, and then what law students can do. Okay, so for me, as I told you, I was. In, sort of became introduced to the topic when I did my master's degree. And um, I wasn't able to take a course in mediation at the graduate level. But what I did do and what I would recommend law students can do is write about mediation in a course that you're enrolled in. So, for example, if you're taking environmental law at law school, you can write about how might you mediate environmental law disputes for your research paper, right? Taking a course in, you know, securities regulation, you can talk about how businesses tend to mediate or arbitrate these disputes, right? So you could bring an ADR focus into any paper course that you were doing at law school in order to sort of teach yourself more about it. And that's what I did when I was in my master's degree. And Mm -hmm. I was fortunate that when I came back to Canada, because the degree was from a well-known university, when I came back to Winnipeg, I was actually able to find a very entry-level position doing mediation work because I had a law degree, And I had a master's degree from Cambridge where I had at least written some papers on mediation. You had like some sort of backing. I had a little bit of background. And again, you have to remember this is now the mid nineties. <laughs> kind of get away with doing this with less training than you can now. So right. a job at, um, 
a local place here in Winnipeg called Mediation Services. And it's a, a place that offers mediation for people in a community. So for example, let's say, you know, your neighbor's dog barks at night when you're sleeping and you're ready to go over there and kill the dog. Instead of killing the dog, you could enter into community-based mediation. Okay. Um, also for young offenders committing their first offenses, they could get involved in victim offender mediation. So I worked at that place and they trained me on the job. So I got kind of on the job community-based and victim offender mediation training. So that's where my training came from. Awesome. And then for law students, um, do you think that you have any suggestions of any extracurriculars that could be helpful or would just writing about it and kind of finding out if there's any courses that are offered in the city, would that be kind of those are great ideas, Ashley. So definitely, as I mentioned, trying to take whatever courses the law school offers, right? Mm-hmm. To meld your interest. Maybe you're interested in sports. So you take sports and entertainment law, but you write a paper that includes how to, you know, arbitrate NFL disputes or something like that, right? So bring it into your into your papers. You take the courses. Most law schools in Canada these days have some kind of an ADR or mediation student group. So mm-hmm. I would strongly recommend joining that student group because they typically bring in speakers that are useful. They sometimes provide professional development opportunities. That Um, Another idea, as you mentioned, is local training programs. And those exist in virtually all provinces and territories in Canada. And um, certainly students who listen to this podcast and want to find my email address on the U of M website could shoot me an email and I would be happy to give you an idea or point you in the right direction for good training programs in your geographical area. And I would remind students always to um, use their student status. You know, you guys don't have a ton of money. So when you call a place like this, if you're going to take extra training, make sure you ask for a student rate, even if they don't advertise one. Awesome. That's really great advice. And I think that a lot of students will benefit from that. Um, So now maybe let's talk about your law school experience, because, again, a lot of our listeners are law students. So I think Um, How would you describe your law school experience and what was your favorite and least favorite part about it? Oh, I loved law school. I thought it was terrific. Um, I was fortunate to go to a law school that wasn't gigantic. So I knew a lot of you could get to know a lot of students right away, which was really good. I read. I love a challenge. And so law school provided both. Um, if I had to say what was my favorite part, I actually, I know this is going to sound corny, but it's the friendships that I made there. Uh, <laughs> my best friend today, decades and decades later, is a woman I met in the first week of law school. So um, that certainly is is been an important thing for me. Um, And my heart kind of goes out to first year law students across Canada this year because they're beginning in a pandemic and it's harder to make those connections with students. But fortunately, you have second and third year still ahead of you. So you will be able to make some of those close relationships as well. Definitely. Yeah. And what would you say was your least favorite part? 
Oh, my least favorite part was tax law. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Flat out. Um, I My brain just was not wrapping around tax law. And that was my worst mark, not only, only in law school, but of my entire academic career from kindergarten through my PhD. So I would say my favorite was tax law. Oh, my goodness. Um, how did you... How, how did you manage a school life balance while you were in law school? Oh, Ashley, this question, I have to say, it kind of makes me laugh because um, I would say it's much more appropriate to ask how to manage a life work balance than a school life balance uh, yeah. because um, it's I find it's much harder to balance full-time work with a full-time life. I was fortunate when I was in law school because I was young, I was single, I didn't have family responsibilities, and I, in fact, still lived at home with my parents when I was in law school. So right. me, balancing life in school was not a particularly difficult issue. Um, I know for law students, it can feel like a real grind, um, you know, and certainly it is for students who have families and have more responsibilities than I did. But regrettably, I would have to tell you, um, get used to it because it's a lot harder in work than it is in school. <laughs> Fair enough. Do <laughs> you have any tips for success in law school? Maybe what worked for you and what didn't? I know we have a torts exam coming up with you on the week oh. or next week. So. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So let me see if there are, I can tips for success in law school. I guess, and they will probably relate a little bit to tort law because, as you say, that is what I teach you. Um, I would say... I can think of three. Um, the first one is to do what works for you. And what I mean by that is you are obviously smart. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in law school. So what if, whatever study methods you had before you got to law school, they're likely still going to work. They're what got you here. It's kind of like if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So do what works for you. Um, and a more sort of, I guess, concrete example of that is, let's say you were always a solitary studier and you like doing it that way. Don't feel pressure to join a study group. That may not be the way you work best. So do what works for you. Um, having said that, your fellow students are really your best colleagues. So if you share insights with them, they will likely share with you and you'll find that you'll both benefit. But if you don't want to, you know, study over Zoom with three other people, don't do it, right? Do what works for you. Right. Um, sure. I said I had three tips. Let's come up with more. Um, a second <laughs> would be something that I've told you and my torts class, which is... Um, for doing private law first-year exams, I've made up a little four-letter mantra that works for me and my students, and it's ICRA. And you spell that I-C-R-A. The I stands for issue. The C stands for case. The R stands for rule or ratio. And the A stands for analysis or application. Now, if your prof says he or she also wants you to provide a conclusion, then you can do ICRAC and have another C at the end. I don't mm -hmm. ask my students to provide conclusions, so I leave it at ICRAC. So I ask them to identify the issue, provide a relevant case name or two or three or whatever they want to do, describe the ratio or rule of that case, and then the most important part is to apply that rule to the facts of the exam problem. 
This is where you're doing your analysis. This is where you are applying the law to the facts. This is where you get your marks. And that's what profs want to see. It's like showing your work. So I find that if students follow this kind of a mantra or whichever one their prof gives to them, and they do that consistently throughout their exams, their marks tend to be higher. And it works well to have it almost as a little post-it note beside you so that you remember to say the issue, say the case, say the rule, and do the analysis every time. And then you find you get the most marks. And then I guess my last tip, uh, especially since we're launching right into exam season, <laughs> is to study your study notes. And what I mean by that is a lot of you will have made some kind of study notes or course outline or summary. It, it, what are people calling it these days? What are those um, notes called? Outlines. That's outlines. what we calling them. But I think it varies by school actually too. Okay. So just so that people know we're talking about, that's the idea, right? And the outline might be one that you've completed yourself. It might be one you've done with students in a study group. It might be one you've obtained from an upper year student. But it's not enough just to have that outline. You also need to read it over and kind of study it. Okay. So the idea is if you could, let's say your exams on a Wednesday, it would be perfect if by Monday you had your study notes done because then you could read them over on Monday and on Tuesday and you would be amazed what a feeling of, um, of sort of accomplishment and solidifying the ideas that gives to you. And so from a really pragmatic perspective, because you've looked it over a couple of times, you'll remember better where things are. So even if you've tabbed the heck out of it or highlighted it to pieces, you are mm -hmm. going to be able to find things more quickly. And most first year law students especially find a little themselves a bit pressed for time in exams. So whatever you can do to give yourself more writing time is typically good. So of wasting precious analysis time in your exam, flipping through your notes, you'll know where to go because you have studied your study notes or you've studied your outline. Did you find like making condensed outlines help you or, you know, when you were in law school, did you just kind of work off one main outline? Because that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now, like making kind of like a smaller checklist. Yeah, I, I, that's sort of what I did. Like I, you know, I went to, again, back in the day, right, showing my I went to law school before everybody had a laptop. So when I was in law school in the early 90s and let's say a class of 30, you'd have three or four people who had money or whose parents had money and they had laptops and everybody else was still handwriting notes. Okay. Right. So no matter how you take notes, they tend to be rather voluminous. And mm -hmm. so what I would try to do at the end of November, beginning of December is make some kind of shortened version of my notes. Right. So um, an outline that was a more condensed version of the full thing. And then for certain courses that, in my mind, lent themselves to it, I also made an even shorter version, which might just be like a two-page checklist, right? right? So in torts, it would be some of the big headings. It would be duty of care, standard of care, damages, causation, remoteness, defenses. And you'd, I sort of made myself a checklist so that when I was doing the exam, I could glance over it and say, whoops, I forgot I haven't written anything about remoteness, for example, right? Yeah. So, um, but, in a, but then in an open book exam, I would usually bring in the entire binder of notes, 
Mm-hmm. Condensed version, as well as the checklist, just because I was a little bit panicked and I thought, what if I need to find something and I don't have it, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, especially with like the number of cases that we've learned in torts, especially. Exactly. Like if you're in a, a subject like constitutional law where you do fewer cases, more in depth, you know, I don't know whether you'd still bring anything, my everything. My guess is you would just because you'd feel more comfortable having it all with you. For sure. And maybe just to kind of wrap up, do you have any last words of wisdom or is there anything that maybe you wish you had known when you were in law school that you'd like to share with us? Hmm. Last words of wisdom. I can only think of things that you are going to think are cornball and hokey, <laughs> but um, really it sounds so trite, but I would say have fun in law school. You know, if you think you want to be a practicing lawyer you're going to blink and three years are going to pass and you're going to be working. So this might be the last time in your life where you get to sleep in or stay up late or do stupid things. And so, although remember, don't put them on social media because it will lessen your chances to one day become a judge. But the point is, is that this is your last big hurrah, your last time to have lots of fun. And I encourage you to embrace that because you have the rest of your life to practice law, but you don't ever get the fun of, you know, wearing sweatpants all the time and being a student. So I think you should try and embrace it. I think that's super reassuring to hear, especially like now I feel like, oh, I'm having fun. I should be studying. (laughs) Yeah. No, if you can manage to have some fun during a pandemic, I think that's fantastic. And there's still time to study, right? It's only the beginning of December. So you're still... Well, thank you so much. It was super helpful and super insightful. And I'm sure all of our listeners will benefit from this. Well, thank you very much, Ashley. This is my first time being on a podcast, so it will be memorable for me as well. So thank you very much for the opportunity. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and now on Spotify, or on our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook or follow us on Twitter for the latest updates. Human stories, new legal topics, and career-advancing advice right to your earbuds. Catch it all here, next time, on The Law School Show.